on today's podcast. We're going to talk with Quentin Richardson uh, about the playoffs a little bit, but also his playing career and then some fun recruiting stuff, deciding to stay at home in DePaul over going to Kansas. Tales from the couch, four wide. We're doing all four playing games and you know why the games played out the way they did. And then the big Zion problem. I'm going to finish with that one because that was a pretty disappointing Zion last 48 hours. Uh, feedback and some life advice. Enjoy. It's the Ryan Russillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older, 18 plus in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. Tales from the Couch, play-in edition. Let's run through it. I could probably look at all four games and go, all right, Oklahoma City won because they are tougher despite being younger than the Pelicans. Uh, Chicago won because Toronto missed a million free throws. Uh, Atlanta won because they out-rebounded the Heat. And the Lakers beat Minnesota. If you want to get into the free throw game with that one, but as much as I love my dude Anthony Edwards, who likely was banged up, him not being him, is the reason they lost that game. So let me actually start with that Lakers win, uh, a game that showcased four number one picks in it. Uh, Edwards was three of 17, zero for nine on threes. He had a nasty fall. He had a pretty bad fall not that long ago. But when you watched him in the Pelicans game to close out the regular season, where I talk him up so much and then see this, you're like, okay, so even if he's hurt, like there was just certain things that he had taken himself out of the game. You cannot have Torian Prince finishing shot clock possessions off the dribble and expect to win not technically a playoff game, but a playing game like this. Uh, we knew that Gobert was suspended going into it. No Nas Reed, who you know was in the conversation, not that he was going to win six man of the year, but that's the kind of year he had, and he gives you a different look. Cat was actually downgraded to doubtful. I can never tell if he's off or not physically because he's not exactly like the quickest dude, but he was really good in this game for the most part. So, uh, And then Jalen Noel, who's somebody I actually really like, he was back, uh, but Jane McDaniels is out. So you're looking at the Timberwolves without three of their top seven rotation guys not playing. 
Minnesota had nine points in the fourth quarter until Conley's three free throws off the corner attempt where Anthony Davis did foul. It's not like Conley flopped on this one. It wasn't gross. It was just a dumb play by Davis, which he admitted to as much and didn't matter once they end up winning this whole thing. Uh, Timberwolves fans will point to the free throw differential. Um, the second half in overtime, so the last, what, 29 minutes, the Lakers shot 17. Minnesota shot three, and all three of them were the Conley free throws, which he hit to tie the game. Um, so that's it. I know that the Laker free throw differential thing has been a story all season. Part of it is the randomness of it. I'm not a big look at the box score the next day and my team lost and, hey, we had 10 less free throws. I guess I don't really say we about anybody unless I'm talking about a team from the perspective of the front office. But you get the point. Like I just don't like going to that to default. There are certain nights where it just sucks. I feel like the Lakers are built a certain way where they're going to attack um, more because they don't necessarily have as many shooters. And that was definitely the case going back to like the first half of the season before they improved the rotation. Carl uh, Anthony Towns is really good, but he gets dumb fouls. So he can't let himself get into a situation where if he's out of position, just let yourself be out of position. Don't fight back to get in position knowing that you're probably going to cause a problem. I thought Anthony Davis is better than what people had kind of talked about, like reading some of the recap stuff. It was very clear, at least from what I could see, is that his size, especially about the Gobert option, was a major problem. And there were some late possessions, too, where if Towns got it on a catch against Anthony Davis and would try to drive on him, nope, wasn't going to happen. Towns isn't quick enough, first of all. And from a strength standpoint, it looked like Davis was actually the stronger player, uh, despite you know, Towns probably having a few pounds on him. Anthony Davis was the only starter for the Lakers that was actually a plus anything on the box score, and he was a plus nine. Um, the rebounding was plus 11 for the Lakers, and I think Davis also, whether it's him getting the rebounds, I mean, he finished 24 and 15 with three blocks. I know the shooting was okay. It wasn't great. But uh, the paint efficiency, like plus 11 in the rebounding margins and 54 to 36 points in the paint, is just that factor of having somebody big who is a problem, even if he doesn't end up with the stat, meaning the rebound or the putback or getting to the free throw line. Uh, LeBron played 45 minutes. He had a couple huge threes. You look at the box score at the end of it, it's like, all right, 30 points. He makes the play to Schroeder, who looked like he was going to be hitting the game winner uh, with 1.4 seconds left at the end of regulation. But as we know, it went into overtime. So, you know, people really dumped on this game. From an aesthetic standpoint, and I don't I don't blame you. Again, Minnesota had nine points in the fourth quarter until the Conley free throws. And then you knew they weren't really going to score. And Finch had said afterwards, like, my guys ran out of gas a little bit. I'm not really sp- sure what he was supposed to do, though, unless he wanted to go with Les McLaughlin, perhaps. Um, you know, Alexander Walker, potentially, although... Naw is the worst nickname in the NBA right now. I think that's my submission for it. Uh, So, you know, when Anthony Davis, excuse me, when Anthony Edwards isn't attacking at all and is is moving the basketball against double teams, which sometimes he made the right play where he would swing it. It was the hockey pass. It would lead to an open three. But there was one play in particular towards the end of regulation where he got the switch on the left side at the break against Anthony Davis and Cat, at that point, is positioned against a smaller player in a switch. So it's like, all right, we'll run something where you get a switch here and you get Towns against a smaller player. And 
if you do that, though, Towns has to either get in a better position or Edwards has to bring Davis away so it's not as easy to help. And Edwards didn't even do that. Like, it was very clear in this play, like, all right, you're not confident right now. You probably don't want to shoot it. It hasn't looked like you want to shoot it now for a while. Um, you're probably not going to even try to take him off the dribble because help is coming. But if help's coming and you can read it, then maybe you can get it to the corner. But you can't have Anthony Davis so close to help Towns off of you on the switch. And Edwards just didn't really even know what to do in the possession. He just dribbled, dribbled, dribbled. And I think he ended up taking a flat three that he ended up missing. Um, so that was just a major, major problem for this entire thing. And you've got to wonder what he's going to look like in the next playing game. Uh, D'Angelo Russell played 24 minutes. He was one and nine with two points. He basically was benched from 559 in the third quarter on. Rui came in for him, and that was basically it. He was brought in as, a, I think, a decoy in a late possession, maybe even a couple times, 19 seconds left in overtime, and there might have been one other time too. Uh, he was done. I would say this about the handful of regular season players that we know are super talented. And my D'Angelo Russell thing is really that he's actually incredibly talented, but because he's so talented, it makes it way more dangerous because he knows how talented he is, and he actually screws up a lot of the stuff you're trying to do. Um, there is a level that you need to bring your intensity up to in these games. And there's a, a list of players that I feel like do not understand that still. And not like Russell's career is loaded with big-time playoff games. Um, but that was part of the problem. Look, he's going to have a game in the playoffs where he's probably going to hit a million threes and get 30. Uh, it's about all the other little stuff that he does. You know, boxing out, get back in transition. If you're the other guard and your guard is shooting, making sure you're the person's back. Are you going to fight over screens? Are you going to fight over screens even more intensely later in the game? You know, when you're talking about communication on defense, is there any communication? Like communication is not saying after you switch to the wrong guy and then pointing after they score, what did you do? That's not really communication. So, I always feel like those plays are the offensive line of an NBA game. You know, we can see the quarterback do something great. We can see a receiver make a great play. We can see a great tackle, interception, sack, all that kind of stuff. But the stuff that we don't notice that makes the rest of it go, and while you'll look at some players and be like, man, how come this guy scores so many points and the team loses all the time? Sometimes that player is awesome and the talent around him sucks. And for other players, it's like, yeah, I know he scores a lot, but there's just other stuff that you need to step your game up to. And look, he just missed a ton of shots, so who knows? And like I said, he's so good as far as a shooter and a playmaker, he's probably going to have a huge statistical night here or there against Memphis, but it is something worth monitoring. Um, you know, the Lakers now, since the trade deadline, are number two defensively. I think that showed up. It's really great the Lakers can actually fall back on defense when they need it. Uh, Rudy's going to be back for the OKC game. You got to hope Edwards looks a lot better health wise. And we know his shoulder was taped up there. So I'm not trying to be too tough on him here. But I'll tell you, for people that were just tuning in, going, why do you guys talk about this dude so much? Watch the Pelicans game. Um, the Lakers closing group in this one Anthony Davis, LeBron, Rui, Dennis, and Austin Reeves. That's a lot of size. It really is. And that's without the Vando option. And now the Lakers have four days off, Sunday's game one at Memphis. Lakers have the season series 2-1. LeBron only played one game. Anthony Davis played in two of them. Westbrook's actually the team's leading scorer against them, but he only played one for 29 points, and Ja missed one. So uh, Minnesota, some work to do here. If Edwards isn't back, isn't if Edwards looks like that again, even with Gobert back uh, in the game against OKC, I wouldn't pick him. I'm going to do all four games here, but um, let's, let's go to Chicago's win in Toronto. They were down 19. When Toronto's good, it's good. 
when you watch them rolling and all their size and their depth and their worst player that's playing is still pretty good. And when they're up big, you're like, wait, this team's good. Like, what, what is their problem? Well, we know that the half court, there's some numbers there that tell you they're just not great on the points. It's not per possession or it's the, their points per possession are really bad. And then there's another half court number, which makes them kind of average, but there's one that's pretty bad. So anyway, uh, it was almost like Chicago forgot that Toronto's really long. It was maddening watching Chicago try to drive and kick or passes through the paint and they were getting deflected all the time. Toronto's system and the way that they use their guards and how good OG and Anobi is defensively and that Barnes has a ton of size on you. Uh, they just get a lot of deflections. I think Van Vliet may have actually been number one in deflections, even though you wouldn't exactly think of him as like a primary stopper on defense and any of that stuff. But when you're watching it go and they're up big on Chicago, and look, when when a team is up 20 and the other one's down 20, no one goes, you know who actually looks really good, though, is the team down 20. So Toronto was Siakam. At one point, Caruso uh, was the primary defender. It was something I kept thinking about throughout the entire game. We'll get some thoughts on that. Because if you have Patrick Williams, what are you doing with Caruso against Siakam the entire time? But my guess would be that they figured if there was a Van Vliet-Siakam pick and roll game like nobody would want to then switch into Caruso if you're Van Vliet because Caruso is arguably as good as anybody as a guard this year defensively so I was thinking that might have been part of it but I felt like there was just too many possessions where Patrick Williams was on Trent which you know when I've watched Patrick Williams play this year and one of the things I liked about maybe the future of Chicago or just anything one of the reasons I didn't like Chicago in the past and they had the good record last year even though they fell apart after the weather like 30 and 10 uh they that actually might not be accurate, that the record was that good. But uh, I didn't feel like they had a big wing to match up with the other big wings in the East. So as I've seen him develop and how hard he really plays, which is very true, and there's been a you know tick of improvement offensively just from a confidence level, I was like, okay, so why is he getting stuck on, on Trent so much? All right, so Siakam at one point um, gets Drummond in a switch where I don't know how much you'd expect to see from Drummond uh, in another game here. He gets a post up against Patrick Beverly. There were some Beverly minutes there too in the first half where I was like, why? What? What's the plan here? Because if Beverly's not a threat whatsoever offensively, is it worth it in this kind of game? Although Beverly did, I think, play better in the second half. Um, so he gets Pat Bev. He gets a drive against the primary defender in Caruso. He gets a jumper in the corner where Vooch is trying to get past a screen to close out in the corner. He gets a turnaround against Kobe White. Uh, and you're like, this guy's killing everybody right now. And that was after Van Vliet got off to a really good start. So as you're watching this all go down and Toronto's up, they look like they're in control of it. Levine looks like he's out of it again. I'm like, here we go. Uh, DeRozan's frustrated on the bench. I've already mentioned the Patrick Williams stuff and and how they used him. And I'm not even saying that it was necessarily wrong. It was just something I was kind of looking at there. And I think it had something to do with the switching. But Van Vliet hit seven threes. Van Vliet was looking for Levine a lot in this game to try to switch into him. And so as I run through all of this, it's very simple if you're a Raptors fan to be like, well, wait a minute, stop talking about it. Like there's one reason and one reason only, and that's because Toronto went 18 to 36 in the free throw line. That is true, and that's probably your answer, but it'd be very dismissive of who Zach Levine was in the third quarter. He had 18 and under nine minutes in the third. And that's the thing with Levine is like when you watch it, just like how Toronto looks really good when it's really good, like, man, this team's way more talented. What the fuck are they doing in the playing game? Uh, when Levine is this good, like, why isn't he 
always this good. I know what the overall numbers are, but Bulls fans, you've watched it. You've watched the nights where he's locked in. You've watched the nights where there's just a ton of mistakes, where you feel like there's this extra level of locked-inness that Levine's just maybe never going to have. And so he takes over in every way imaginable, super aggressive, like almost like he got sick of it, which is awesome, which is what we all want to see all the time. So as this game is closing out and Toronto's missing all their free throws, it did get back a bit. Uh, they called it the slots where at the break, the three-point line on the left and right side, Levine and DeRozan would just kind of line up and take turns. And I think for Levine, he's like, wait, I carry our ass here in the third quarter, and now DeRozan's going to come back in, and he's going to be the primary option in a couple of these big possessions. That's what I don't like about their offense is there's way too much turn-taking. And I'll tell you right now, you know who hates it more than maybe me is Zach Levine. So you can see Levine's body language at times where it's like, oh, DeRozan's going to get going. So I'm not like suggesting it's a problem other than it's just predictable and it's clear one guy is cooler with it than the other guy is. So we're watching Toronto's offense at the end of the first half and trying to figure out what their go-to is. And it's just not the same. It's just not the same at the end. Uh, like I mentioned, they were trying to attack some of the Levine stuff in a switch. There was a couple times when it actually was going bad. Chicago was just letting themselves get into terrible switches primarily. There was one with Vucevic where they didn't even fucking put a screen into the action. And Van Vliet just dribbled to the left. And Vucevic was like, all right, I guess I'm over here. It's like, what are you guys? And like, these are all the things I'm pointing out of Chicago were to lose the game. Uh, and they still should have lost. You can't miss 18 of 36 free throws at home. We know DeRozan's daughter was screaming like crazy in that one. I'll admit, as I was watching the game at home, I'm like, what is that? What is going on there? They're like, oh, it's DeRozan's daughter. And everybody got like real cool. But look, Toronto fans are a blast. So, you know, normally, I'm, you know, I'm always rooting for those guys. So I, I felt your pain. All right, the two other games. I'm just kind of going here. Uh, Heat, Atlanta. Yeah, I'll admit surprised here because Trey's history against Miami has not been great. But then when you watch the two teams play, and it does speak to the depth of the league, as I've mentioned with Boston, or excuse me, with Chicago and Toronto, and then, you know, Oklahoma City and New Orleans, which you get to a little bit later, and then, you know, even the other Western game between LA and Minnesota, you're like, God, there's just a lot of good players in this league right now. Uh, and Atlanta has good players, but they're a 500 basketball team. So this could come down to something really simple here and say, well, wait a minute, Atlanta out-rebounded the Heat 63-39. to I didn't even think Atlanta was, like, great in this game. I thought Miami stunk. I thought they missed easy shots, but they also aren't that good, okay? Uh, 26 second-chance po- points for the Hawks. Uh, Miami's the second-worst team in the NBA in the defensive glass. So like I said, I don't know that it was entirely about Atlanta and how great they were going to be. Uh, Atlanta was only 10 of 41 from three. Uh, they shot 59% on free throws. Trey wasn't great, but he also wasn't ball dominant like nobody else is doing anything. Uh, it was it was really interesting. I noticed something at the end of the first quarter where Trey dribbled the ball too long and then threw kind of a bad pass. It was a turnover. And then I saw him kind of getting into it with an assistant. And I was like, holy shit, that's Nate McMillan's son who's still on the staff. And he kind of like went back at the assistant. Now, granted, Trey, I've never seen anyone get more upset about a call he's about to get in the history of the NBA. He bitches as he's about to get the call. It's the strangest fucking thing ever. So he was good, but Miami was so bad, you know, we didn't really get like, you know what? Honestly, let's do it this way. 
Trey's history was so bad against the Heat, this is a great win for him. All right. And his dribble, drive, passing, playmaking is so fucking good, man. Like, I wish there were a way for him to kind of be a little of that, be a little something else, do some of the other things. They try to get him off the ball more with DeJounte. I would say that part's been a failure. They basically have to start him together and then split him up until they close again. Um, in some cases, with the Chris Paul and James Harden thing, it kind of worked with Atlanta season totals-wise. I would say that it didn't, even though there's times with DeJounte. Like, I think I like DeJounte more now than ever as a player. Capella was incredible on the boards. They have the Okongwu option. Bam was a no-show in the first half. Kyle Lowry saved their ass, sort of, but not enough because they can't say it saved him when it didn't really feel like they were going to win this game. Um, and with Jimmy Butler, who I counted five bullshit fouls, uh, I, it's my own method of counting them. That's 10 free throws. In the Chicago-Miami matchup, if you're Chicago, you have to tell all your players on defense when Butler goes into his jump stop near the rim in that restricted area, do not go for the first move. All right? It is his absolute go-to. It's what added to probably the most efficient season he's ever had in his entire career. Uh, but there's just a talent gap between these two teams. Um Miami's 27th three-point shooting, Atlanta's 10th. Um, both get to the free-throw line about the same amount of time, which is only about 20th in the league. But because of the rebounding stuff, Atlanta averages a bunch more attempts per game. So Atlanta's offense finished 7th, Miami's finished 25th. Uh, so there's a few other things baked into that, too, and why they're better. But the talent gap was significant. I mean, Kevin Love started 17 of 21 games, couldn't play in this game three minutes. Oladipo, oh, here we go, 30 against the Wizards on April 7th, played nine minutes. Duncan Robinson, $60 million to go on that contract. DNP, he was um, kind of like in the mid plus 20 minutes per game, the first two postseasons of his career. He was completely out of rotations, last playoff season, 12 minutes per game over the three series. So when I look at the talent gap, like going into it, his, history told me Miami figures out a way to stop the Trey Young thing. He gets frustrated, whatever. They destroyed him on the boards. Uh, and they weren't, again, I cannot emphasize this enough. It wasn't like Atlanta smoked them. It's like, man, what are you going to do with this Hawks team? It was, it, it was Miami being awful and Capella being awesome and dominating the boards. But I cannot express this enough, depending, because if Miami beat Chicago at home, and gets into the playoffs, I don't know. I, I just feel like a lot of people haven't watched the Heat because if you're afraid of them, I think you're afraid of ghosts because this is not the team, the, the tough, like, look, Lowry went off for them and they still lost this game. Okay, last one. Maybe the most fun game of, out of all of them, and that's Oklahoma City's win against New Orleans. So... The defensive plan here for the Pelicans was to sell out against SGA in the first half. He only had seven points in the first half, which was a season low for the first half. Herb Jones is my fucking hero. What he did with SGA, harassing him, whether he had the ball or not, the off-the-ball stuff where SGA didn't have the ball, face-guarding him, just straight up in his jersey for an entire first half. And to SGA's credit, the thing I do love about him, and there's a lot of things you can talk about with him that you love, although some of the free throws kind of bullshit. Uh, he's very patient. He was patient, and his patience was rewarded because Lou Dort turned into fucking Game 7 Thunder Rockets Lou Dort. 
And then Giddy went off, and his total stat line was a career-high 31, nine boards, 10 assists. And Giddy is basically, he'd be a point guard on most NBA teams. He would have the ball in his hands. We know the shooting isn't there yet, but he's so big. If you haven't really watched him, because I know how this works, watch the next time Giddy standing next to the opposing team center. Like, you're like, wait a minute, what, what's going on there? I think there was a game against the Bulls where he was next to Vooch, and I go, He's actually, you know, Vooch is a huge dude. And then you're expecting Giddy as this guard to be smaller. He's huge. He's fucking huge. Speaking of the Pelicans, we'll get to Zion here in a second. The one time I saw like Edwards in that matchup with Zion and you saw Edwards who's really put together next to Zion. You're like, my God, look how big Zion is, right? So Giddy has that to him. Um, I know there's some mistakes there at the end, but the point of this is, is for OKC, to not get anything from their all-NBA player in SGA and Herb Jones and all this length and the intensity. They got 32 combined from Dort and Giddy in the first half. Early in the game, it looked like the Valanciunas size thing was going to be a problem. He had a decent game. Jalen Williams, not the one from Santa Clara, the one from Arkansas, who I knew when I did his draft tape, I couldn't stand because of all the bullshit charges. But he's a really smart player, even though he missed a million threes. I think he missed his first six. He hit a huge one in his seventh attempt. He also had a weird Isaiah Joe uh, to Jalen Williams' two-man game, Woo Pig, where I wasn't expecting to see that in a play-in game, and then it was a running fucking hook shot, Magic Johnson against the Celtic style, or Bob Rosillo against his son in the driveway for about two years. So that was uh, that was a bit surprising offensively. So the reason I want to get back to the patience and the love here for SGA is that he didn't force it. Herb Jones is that good defensively. And I'll admit, too, as somebody who has a vote, (laughs) all defensive teams this year overall, like I think I watch a lot. Even I get done with it going, have I done enough? Am I totally locked into what everybody's doing, whether it's on the ball or off the ball and looking at the stats and all this kind of stuff? Because Herb Jones, what he did and how he stepped up against SGA was incredible. All right, let's get back to the point of the Thunder winning this game. Um because once SGA knew, he knew a couple things. I don't know if Herb Jones can keep up this intensity. And the second I get a break from him, I'm attacking. And that's what he did. Um, and then he even ended up getting Herb a couple times. But he had 25 in the second half. Uh, he had 10 points in the third quarter. This is... <laughs> Let's see here. This is the 40th time SGA has had 10 or more points in the third quarter this season. And then the drive left floater that he hit with 28 seconds left to give them the lead, 115-114, is essentially kind of your game winner. And all these young dudes, by the way, in these huge spots, made all of their free throws at the other end. Um, For the Pelicans, Ingram got it going. I thought Lou Dort was getting away with, I wouldn't call it a felony, but it it was up there. He was fucking working Ingram. And this is the next level of stuff. I thought Ingram was pretty good. He needed to be great. CJ needed to be good, and he wasn't. And even though the Valanciunas size advantage, which uh, Dagnall admitted, he goes, we're kind of giving up something there. I love that he was so revealing. He was telling us, I'm sacrificing the size part of this. They don't really have the options. It's Jalen Williams or Sharich. They just don't have that kind of size, and that's why for them against Denver, I wanted to sit here and say, I bet you OKC gets two of these games just because their effort, toughness, and smarts alone. But knowing they're going to be going to Denver, and I just don't know. Like Jalen Williams is trying to harass Jokic as much as he can. It'll be kind of the 
Same thing that we saw in this game last night is it might look good the first few minutes. Maybe it even looks good for half where Jokic isn't necessarily even taking a ton of shots. But for him, he doesn't even need to take any shots to control the basketball game. So I'm just kind of thinking ahead to what that matchup is going to look like a little bit uh, if they beat Minnesota, if they beat the Timberwolves. So let's not get ahead of ourselves here. Um, But it was just kind of, it was just, I, I was just so impressive from a young basketball team here where it all kind of leads back to like the Zion problem for for the Pelicans who are now out again. So OKC has 15 picks in the next five years at least. And yet they have four guys right now. They've got SGA, they've got Giddy, they've got Jalen Williams, who's going to probably finish second or third in rookie of the year. Um, and I would include Chet as that fourth guy because it would be silly to write him off. And then that's with a couple other options and some role guys, Dort, uh, Williams, Usman Jang, potentially. There's some role options there. The craziest part about all of these picks is that if it were a different franchise in a different location, they could maybe then package the picks for a player and then go, cool, we did it. And we're adding this awesome max player to this group that we've already established. It's, it's going to be terrific. OKC can't necessarily operate that way, right? Um, because they're, they know they would never really be the likely destination for the mad guy who wants out. Well, likely is like 100%. Like, hey, I've fucking had it here in Brooklyn. Send me to the Thunder. That's not going to happen, all right? Uh, they could overpay. They could also do like what they did with Paul George, which feels a little Oakland A's back in the day where it's like, oh, this guy... You're going to trade him? Well, we think he's really good, so we'll take him now, but then maybe we'll flip him for compensation or get some sort of uh, free agency compensation on the way out for him. And that's kind of what the Thunder did with Paul George. So maybe they could do the two-year disgruntled thing where they take the guy for the year and then they flip that guy again. I don't know if they're going to get the same thing for Paul George, which, as I reminded Simmons, we can never look at that trade for SGA and all the picks for Paul George in a vacuum because it guaranteed the Clippers of also getting Kawhi Leonard. Um. But to think how established they already are, their over-under was 23. Yes, they have still some more work to do. I think the other thing that's really interesting is that they got talked about like this team that sucked forever, and they lost to the Rockets. That was only in 2020. So they had two seasons, 22 wins, 24 wins. They're already at 40 wins and potentially in the 1-8 matchup in the West, and that was not a long rebuild at all, like not even close, but it was just so torn down so quickly, it felt like it was... They were getting labeled as this group that that had, you know, this purgatory vibe to them for way too long, and it's just not true. And they're already out of it. They're already out of it, and yet there's probably ten guys that are going to replace. Ten might be too much. I don't know. They could maybe just outbid everybody else for trade, but there's still like seven dudes coming. Let's just say seven, seven more dudes added to the group to five to seven are coming for this team, and that's what only half of the 15 picks over the next five years. On the other side that's less positive, you have the Zion Williamson holding the Pelicans hostage story. I love Jeff Van Gundy. I agree with almost everything he says. I learned something every single night he's on the broadcast. Last night, I disagreed with him. He was trying to be positive, which might be rare for Jeff, and I liked it. He was like, look, Zion, as we saw him in, uh, I don't know what the fuck that was last night, a hockey jersey, whatever. Um he said, look, Zion's only played four uh, four years and he's played 114 games and he used Joel Embiid's weird start to his career as a comp because Embiid, if you remember, missed the first two seasons, played 31 games. At that point, I was like, dude, 31 games, the first three years of your career, not a great start. He played 
94 games in his first four years because they were still sort of bringing him along slowly. Now, to counter my point, but also Van Gundy's point here, Zion playing 114 over four years is injury and apparently here at the close of this season, Zion's choice. Sam Hinkie didn't want Embiid to play. He wanted to keep losing games. That's why he and then Simmons sat out as long as they did. So it's not the same thing. The problem is that Zion then had media availability, which apparently he's been known to say he wanted to do and then wouldn't do. Now I'm kind of getting why he doesn't do it because he totally fucked it up. Yes, he's a young guy. As I get older, I'm a little bit more. But then again, it's like we're talking about somebody who could be one of the best players in the league. He basically said he was health-wise ready to go, but mentally was still a little hesitant because sometimes he feels it and sometimes he doesn't, but that's basically just on the move alone. He was cleared three weeks ago. He's been playing three-on-three stuff that's rather intense. He hasn't wanted to do any of the five-on-five stuff. And from the looks of it, I don't know if it's a cashmere situation. The reason he may not be clear is because he himself isn't in, in good enough shape. And I don't know if that's him. I don't know if that's... uh you know, just not being active enough and putting on the weight, or I don't know if it's the decisions that he makes that a lot of young guys make that are stupid until they realize like later on, they get to start eating better and doing all that shit. So unfortunately for the Pelicans, despite this roster that we all like and turning it around to close the season and the Ingram playing the best basketball probably of his career and some of these younger dudes who I think have a real chance to be additions to a good team's rotation, you're held hostage by the Zion thing because it doesn't seem like this guy is wired to get it yet. And we went over all of this last year, and then he got his money, which had some protections for the team. But I don't know why, if he were cleared three weeks ago, why he didn't think he could at least get ready to suit up for a little bit. And we can talk about trading him the same way the Trey Young rumors came out right before that game. The go bear market, which probably doesn't exist, although no contract is untradeable. Um, the irony of Chicago or Toronto going in different directions as we kind of recap all these different teams. The Zion part of this is a lot like, maybe not exactly like, it's not exactly like, because almost nothing is exactly like. When Anthony Davis was out and he was hurt and he was struggling, and the Lakers are like, wait, can we really make this guy the face of the franchise post-LeBron, what that money's going to mean? Well, the bet is that you can't. All right. The safe bet is that you can't do that, despite how good Anthony Davis looked in that game and how he's looked since he came back in January. Right. But at least there's something there to a resume. The problem is with Anthony Davis when it's at its worst and you go, what's the trade value? It's like whatever you were to get back for Anthony Davis. And yes, you would get something back for him. It would not match what you could be with him when he's healthy. Right. That's the dilemma that you had anytime you were bringing this stuff up and wondering if the Lakers should get proactive and move him on the way out. And that's not even counting the LeBron factor where. You know, on top of the Lakers turning everything else around, they didn't have to deal with the the awful outcome of losing what could have been an insanely high pick if this season didn't bring in some higher guns. So back to Zion, he doesn't even have the AD resume. And if you're the Pelicans and you were like, well, let's see what happens. Let's see what's on the trade market. Somebody would do it, clearly. But is what we get back enough that matches what we would be with a healthy Zion because he's that good? And the longer this goes, the more willing you probably be able to deal as a front office with the, whatever those calculations are. Right now, last year was too early. Right now, still may feel too early. This can't happen another season. It can't happen another season. People work too hard. Your teammates work too hard. 
And, you know, it's pretty clear that him getting back to whatever point he needs to feel to be comfortable has as much to do with him as anything. And that sucks because it was a fun season for the Pelicans until it wasn't. The NBA playoffs are here, and you can turn crossovers into cash with FanDuel. Just visit FanDuel.com slash Ryan right now and place a $5 bet, and you'll get an instant $150 in bonus bets, win or lose. Uh, I like, I kind of liked whoever was going to be playing Minnesota. Um, Oklahoma City is getting plus five in this one. Just felt like that Minnesota-LA game was a grind. The app is safe and secure, and you get paid instantly when you win. There's no better place to bet all the playoff action than America's number one sports book. Just go to FanDuel.com slash Ryan and sign up to get $150 in bonus bets when you bet your first five bucks. FanDuel, official sports betting partner of the NBA. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 deposit required. Refund issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See full terms at FanDuel.com forward slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com forward slash RG. Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-800-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org forward slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT, Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP. In Louisiana, call 1-800-327-5050 or visit mahelpline.org forward slash problem gambling in Massachusetts. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-389 in New York. 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming or visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. Quentin Richardson from the Knuckleheads Podcast, and of course, NBA vet. Thanks a lot for doing this, man. I, I know we ran into each other a while ago. We, we talked about setting something like this up. It's always funny to me whenever Darius Miles comes up because I was such a huge St. John's fan when I was younger. Like I actually fell for the idea that that dude was going to go to school for a year um, yeah. because he was saying he was going to St. John's. And then, you, you know, you get a little bit older, a little bit more information and be like, I don't know that that was ever going to happen. So I, you and Darius always mean a lot to me because I remember how emotionally attached I was to Darius there for a while as a high school kid. Yeah, I think he actually was going to go there. I think, uh, you know, for most of the season, he intended to do that. But then once he got to the end of the year and all of those uh, All-American games and, you know, the scouts were there, it kind of became like 
it went from like a, I don't know to like nah, this is what you got to do. Because once he got to those, went from those games that they said he was top five. After that, it was a, it was a no no brainer. Yeah, he was too good. It was one of those things when you're selfish as a fan. You're like, oh man, he was he was awesome again in the showcase. He was, uh, he was tight with Omar Cook, so that was his reason for really wanting to go there. They had gotten really tight on the AAU and the camp scenes and stuff like that. So they he he really wanted to go there. Yeah, well, that's what I, I mean. That was always the thing, but he was so good in all the showcase stuff that you were just like this. And he's huge too, so it's like, yeah. all right, this is this is over. I want to get to your path a little bit, but. Um, let's, let's talk about some of these games so far. Uh, I let's, let's start with Atlanta. Cause I, I hit on it in the open a little bit. I've had a, a tough time despite Trey Young's talent, because I just think it can be tough to play with. And I think this team's kind of heading in a weird direction as somebody who's an incredibly, you know, talented young guy with the ball in his hands. How have you seen the Trey Young story going here at an early part of his career? I think it's up and down, man. You know, when you're on the outside looking in and you're hearing a lot of things and you, you know, you're hearing this and hearing that, it's kind of tough to say what's really going on. But the one thing you can look at and say, you know, it's been, what is it, two or three coaches that's been gone and he's the common denominator where people are saying whatever. So, I mean, if, if you know, if I'm him, I just put my head down, man, and go to work and go to, you know, when you play well and you, you help your team win, all of that stuff kind of goes away. But if your team struggles and you got all of this stuff swirling around and you're looking like you're in the center of it, it's kind of tough to kind of detach yourself. But if I'm Trey Young, man, I just get to work this offseason and try try to come in as ready as I can, try to stay in sync with the uh, with Coach Quinn Snyder. He's a great coach in this league. And I think, you know, you just try and get on the same page with him and let whatever happens organizationally, he can't control that. But as far as like him going home this summer and focusing on coming back, and trying to be best teammate, best leader. You know, he's a, he's a max guy. He's the face of that franchise, regardless of what the situation is. And um, he should be an all star. Man, he should he should take offense to not being an all star this year. And he should come back this summer and um, go this summer and come back next year, ready to you know show everybody what he really is. I don't know if it's your own story, your own personal story, or like you think about some of the landing spots. But you know, when younger dudes come in that are this talented. It's like, no, I've got this. I've got this. But you can't ever do it on your own. You just can't ever do it on your own. I actually thought he was pretty good in the Miami game, um, and he wasn't mm -hmm. needed necessarily to do some of that other stuff. Was that something you had to go through with as a younger player? Was there anything that maybe you went through as a vet with another young dude coming up where you were like, hey, we all know you're nasty, but like you can't expect you can't expect to do this on your own. Nobody does. Well, you know, fortunately for me, I didn't, I wasn't given that situation. I came in, I was, a, we had three, three lottery picks and well, three first round picks. And I was the lowest of the three, you know, obviously Darius was number three, Keon went 10, I went 18. So it wasn't that situation. So for me, it was like, I would, I, I really benefited from having, you know, a great veteran and Sean Rooks, you know, rest in peace. And then, uh, one of our assistant coaches was Dennis Johnson, rest in peace, the great, you know, Dennis, and Dennis Johnson. And, um, he was unbelievable for uh for 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 helping me stay sane. <laughs> I would say my 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 rookie year because when you up until that point, you know, I had been player of the year, this, that, and the third, and and the best guy on every team, you know, that I was playing on, and and you you earn what you get, you know. what I'm saying and I felt that I went out in training camp, I had a great camp. I didn't see it where I shouldn't have been like not playing at all, and I didn't understand as a rookie that hey, they're trying to showcase these guys and and move different pieces around so that they can clear the way for this talent that we just drafted. 
I didn't understand it. All I saw was I was getting DNPs, you know what I'm saying? Coaches' decisions. I had never gotten that before. Like, wait a minute, I'm not playing and I'm not hurt. Nothing's wrong with me. I'm sitting here ready to play, want to play. And like, you saying it's this many guys better than me. And I'm looking and I'm, I'm doing, I'm killing these guys in practice, right? So I didn't understand it. I was lashing out, being a young, high head kid. And DJ would always pull me to the side. He spoke my language, talked to me and talked trash to me. Like, yo, just, just sit down and like, listen, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you don't understand what's going on. And it's not always for you to be told what's going on. Like, this is a situation where it's going to be explained to you. You just got to, you know, show up and do what you're supposed to do and, and just keep your head down and not worry. Like, first of all, that's what you used to always tell me. Like, you the third pick of all these mothers. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you 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 can't say nothing. Like, you know what I'm saying? I used to, you know, I used to have to eat that. But my, my pride and my ego looking at it like, like, be my little brother. <laughs> Like, me and Keon, like, I was right higher than him, you know what I'm saying, coming out and all of this stuff. Like, so I didn't see anything like they, like, everybody else perceived it. And that was that was, that was extremely, extremely difficult for me my first couple of years. Was it the Piakowski minutes? <laughs> that, I mean, I, that, yeah, that, it was, I mean, it was, it was Pike played over me. I mean, at times, Corey played over me at times, Tyrone Nesby, because it was, Alvin Gentry had been on record for saying it's going to be today's, that, that Corey's going to play in Q9 and, and vice versa. Q might play in Corey Dump. And for me, that, that, I didn't see that. I didn't, you know what I'm saying? When you grow up playing against these guys and you, you know, you, you just as good or if, if not in your mind, you feel better than these guys, like, I don't see any days where I'm about to get the DNP. This is something I always think about because none of us can really understand it unless you're this kind of player with this kind of profile. But, you know, you always have just dudes talking to you, right? And I'm sure, <laughs> especially you being like a city kid too, like you get numb to it pretty – like you're sizing guys up really quick and being like, what's – what's this? so even by the time – what were you, 20, when you get to the league, 19. you're probably – yeah, you're you're probably so weathered already by this going, oh, here's an assistant that's going to try to be my buddy. Here's the guy in the front office going to be my buddy. Like this shit's been happening to me since I was like a teenager um, or junior high. Or, you know, how how is it able, like I know Dennis Johnson's resume as a player and then going, all right, well, that was a dude with the, all these amazing Celtics teams. What yeah. works? What works for the older dude to connect with the younger kid to at least have that level of respect so you can talk to each other like men? I think I think everything, you know, every player is different, every situation is different, but I think immediately when when for most players, you know what I'm saying, when they see that person as a former player, there's an immediate amount of respect for that person because you you did you know what I'm going through on a certain level because you you know what it took to get here and you got here and you did this before so from that from that right there there's going to be a certain level of respect that that other people that didn't get to that level they'll never receive and you can only understand it when you when you were actually in it like as an NBA player and now as a former NBA player I I see you know what I'm saying when I was in the Detroit front office and when I was a director of player development in Detroit the level of respect I got because I was a former player, you know what I'm saying? And they, and like you say, me coming in as a rookie, I knew Dennis Johnson. DJ stole the ball. Like this is the great Dennis Johnson who, you know what I'm saying? Played with Bird, won championships. And then when I talked to him, you're, you're, you're a regular dude. You're a great dude. And it's like, okay, 
Like immediately I can respect you because what you've done and what you you've been here already. You've done it way more things than I could dream of in this in this space. And so I got that ultimate respect for you. But when you come and you humble yourself and you talk to them like you don't you're not talking down, like DJ never talked down to us and acted like it was this or he was, you know what I'm saying? He was obviously he was coming from a place that I know better than y'all, but he still came from a humble, cool place where we could respect it. And I think that was the approach I always tried to take. And I think that's what it takes. Like when you see a Udonis has him, you know what I'm saying? Like UD is the ultimate OG. But I think if you talk to any of those players that he's mentored or helped come up, like, yeah, it's going to be times that UD, he going to get in their ass and he'll get on their ass. But at the same time, before he ever got to that point to where he's doing that, he humbled himself and he 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 showed the human side of him and he put himself next to them guys and, and, and got that trust before he started just pounding away on people. You got to you have to like earn that trust and that respect for somebody before you just go in and get like what, what a lot of people see is the finish result. They don't see them practice days, the training camps, the offseason when UD is in there. He, he's 18, 19, 17 years, and he's in the offseason doing these things with these guys. I've seen him working out with Bam and different guys. Like, guys that late in their career don't do that. That's him putting in that that work and that equity and that earning that trust where he can go out there and flash out on the sideline on somebody and they're going to respect it and not do nothing because they don't see all of that work that's been put in through that. Do you still root for the Bulls? You had to be a huge Bulls fan growing up, right? Huge, of course. Yeah, what? right. Of I mean, course. Like, well, I'm just making a, sure. Just well, there's no, always like a weird absolutely. kid. Absolutely. <laughs> oh no, absolutely. But I mean, I think that immediately stopped as soon as I got drafted. That was over with. It really was kind of over with when I got to college. Like as soon as Mike left, it was like, like you know, I'm still in Chicago at Deep Park. Like yeah, go Bulls. But I was like, whatever. I knew I was about. I was getting ready. I'm I'm looking at guys now. I'm sizing. <laughs> you know, I knew I was about to be there. So like, one, it's different once you get there. And like I didn't, it was for me. I didn't want to play for the Bulls. Like I didn't, I didn't want to desire to get drafted by the Bulls because I felt like that would be a lot for me. I wanted to. I had just came from. I want. I felt like I need to get away from Chicago for a little bit. Like so, for me, it was like as soon as I got to the league, I was like, oh no, it, that's the opponent. So it didn't matter. I loved what we saw from Levine last night in that third quarter, man. Yeah, and it is like when he's going, you're like, damn. Uh, why do you think the team isn't overall better, though, than, you know, they? this is a team, when you look at it, the East is obviously better these last couple of years, especially at the top. But, you know, I would argue between Toronto and Chicago at times. I'm like, I can't believe both these teams are in the plan. Yeah, I think with Chicago, man, that 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 Lonzo Ball injury really, really, really hurt, man. I think he he makes he makes. I mean, I think they obviously they 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 retooled and they got it situated. You know, P. Bev come over. I think was a huge, huge plus for the team. It's gonna help along the way. But I think, you know, initially throughout the season, that was the big. You know, Caruso was hurt. I felt like those two. Man, the, the the impact that they have on the ball in the backcourt and in any backcourt, you know, when those two, I watched them play here in Orlando, you know, I do broadcasts for them and I watched them in person last year here. And I was like, oh, my goodness, like those two dudes were straight dogs. And you see the impact that they have on pace, on defense and everything. And I think that impacted the Bulls in a major way earlier in the season. And they didn't really, you know what I'm saying, get a chance to retool until like probably at the trade deadline when they made some of the moves and then picking up Pat Bev. And I think, you know, now, you know, they, they, they're, 
I think they're gonna be be having a chance to be okay still with the with the core of Zach and, and Demar. And then, you know, adding Pat Bev, if they could keep him there. And then I like Vooch there, man. I I I'm a big, big, uh, big Vucci fan, man. He was here in Orlando for a long time. I got to see him up close and personal. I know how good he is and what he brings. And I think when, you know, when 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 you guys can be all the way, I think that's the biggest thing, man. It was a lot of a lot of bad, you know what I'm saying, injuries. It's like we always say, me and my friends always say, man, we need to turn injuries off. Like on a video game, go to the settings and just turn injuries off, man. This is whack. And I think, you know, that was a big part of why, why the Bulls were up and down this year. Who did you have picking? Uh, well, I don't care about the beginning of the year. Now with the playoffs, for the most part, set. Who did you have winning the West? Man, I, I you gotta respect Denver, man. You know, they they they've done it and I think they've gotten they've become more healthy along the way. I think that's a big part of it, you know, having Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray back in the rotation and obviously the other pieces they picked up along the way. But I think I think you gotta respect them, but I still I still have a, a high amount of respect for Golden State and then Phoenix. Those are like my 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 three, but then my dark horses. It's the Clippers. You see, I got my jersey behind me. They like forever my first team, but the PG injury hurts. I mean, hurts me because I feel like I don't know what to really expect if they don't have him. Like if they they had him and they full complement, I would be very confident. I would probably be picking the Clippers to win it, and. But just with that injury, I don't know when and how he's going to be able to come back and what he's going to look like. But um, I guess if you're asking me to say somebody, I'm going to have to say I'm going to I'm going to go out on the limb man, and say uh, go go with Phoenix, man. I think it, like what, what they've been able to, you know, obviously it's been a super, super small uh, sample size. But I think KD healthy. Is the best player in the world, and um, you know, with with, with D Book and Aiden and, and CP, I think I think you know, obviously they're not as deep as you would like, but I think they're gonna be be a tough out in seven games. I want to go back to your Phoenix year because I, I was reading something you wrote years ago, which is was really cool in the Players Tribune, and it feels like the NBA world has gone back and wanted to do a revote on the Nash MVPs, <laughs> and. I don't know if that's because Jokic was getting so much run lately and and some of this. Like, if you watch Nash, we get it. He didn't score as much as some of the other dudes. See, I, honestly, if he played today and wanted to shoot more, he would score 30. He was that good of a shooter. Yeah, he but absolutely if, was. But as somebody who played with him and knows, as I, you know, you were watching, like, he's in control of everything that's happening here. Uh, what's your... Do you get defensive about Nash knowing what it was like in that one year in Phoenix for you? Yeah, especially my one year. When you see when people go and, and say certain things, you got to take and think about the whole story. Like we were projected to finish last in our division coming into that year. We were projected to not make the playoffs. We were projected to, you know, what I'm saying not do anything. Also. Stevie was leaving Dallas because they said he was washed. His back was hurt. He didn't have anything left, blah, blah, blah. These are all narratives going into that season. They saying Stevie, like, basically washed. And we had Mark Cuban on the show, and he even said it. Like, that was one of his biggest mistakes, you know what I'm saying? Like, the doctors said this. They were saying this and that and that. His back wouldn't hold up. But forget about all the narratives. When you, Like I said, we were supposed to finish last. We basically 
came and came and played a style of basketball that hadn't been played. We played whatever, small ball. And everything was like, I'll say this, like, because people always ask me, like, how are you? Everything was able to work with that team because of Steve Nash, right? Steve, I'll say to Steve Nash and Sean Mary, without them two, like, it, you can't play like that. Not the way we did. Because, like, we, like, if you go back and look, people say, oh, they don't play. We play defense. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We play defense when it, when it mattered. And it was because of Sean Marion that we were able to do that. But with Steve, they, they, they were mad. If you go look at his numbers, everything went up. And then he managed to, like, take a team that was not supposed to fit, that we were supposed to finish last. We finished the number one team in the, in the entire league. We went 62 and 20 that year. And that's like out of nowhere. So that's where the, the and, and, and when you ask why, it was because Steve Nash. Steve, he missed like a four, he went on like a four game streak where he missed and we lost like three out of the four games. That was all he missed. Like the whole season was like four or five games or something. I remember the first time like I'd heard the story about it where you know D'Antoni was basically the most positive person about the overall approach. I'm not talking about day to day, obviously I don't I don't get it or understand it that way, but I remember his philosophy on something being like, no no, shoot more. No take the shot. Don't ever look back at the bench. Don't think like you took eight threes a game back then? Is oh yeah, right? back then. I had That's games insane. where I shot 17, 18 attempts of some three that, that year. Yeah, I had individual games where I got up 17, 18 of them. And no, you, I mean, like, that was the thing. I think if you if you go and anybody that has the time, you know how we got guys that love stats and all. If you go and you go look at guys before they were playing for, uh, for, for Coach D'Antoni and when they played, whether it was one year, two years, Go look at the the differences between their scoring, their shooting percentages, and all of their offensive stuff when they played for Coach D'Antoni as opposed to anywhere else. You got a few guys that'll be like some anomalies, like because I know Maul Maul didn't like it when he played when he coached in Detroit. I mean, in New York, uh, Maul Crawford because he was used to a certain type of you know getting the ball and being able to you know do his thing, and it was kind of like the ball was moving too much for him to really do his thing but that but most most guys you go look at their percentages i promise you i promise you they all are up the confidence is up like in practice we shoot like i shot it's more as far as like being on a team and being in practice and actually like shooting like doing different shooting drills competing against your shooting player like i've never in all of my career shot more than when i played for coach d'antoni that was both times in the one year in Phoenix and when he coached in New York. Never shot more shots in practice ever than when I played for Coach D'Antoni. Yeah, that's everything I'd always heard about it is that one, it was almost like a philosophical thing. We are going to be so positive. We are going to be supportive. We don't want you thinking about shot selection. When you are open, we want you to shoot it. And it's the same thing for Marion as you is that it was like all of a sudden it's this spike. Because it's just amazing as a player to go, <laughs> I don't have to, I'm never going to have to like worry about shooting it too much and the fact that you have somebody in nash who i still like i said should have taken more shots with how good he was but that he was okay like his basketball approach was okay to defer and i can't help but laugh a little bit like i'm not gonna say anything negative about jamal crawford but like 
any player that would be like, now the ball's moving too much. This isn't for me. It's like, well, I know you can work everybody well, off it, the dribble. Well, it, well, it wasn't that it wasn't that it was it was because Ma had been used to having more. You know, so we had played for Coach Brown, Coach uh, Z, Coach Tom. Like it was more. It was it was more uh, structure. I would say. Like the the thing about Coach D offense is like he 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 we could drop a play in the huddle, and he'll say like all right like hey this is what we want to do he like hey look, hey if you get a rebound you go just go like you know what I'm saying and it's like for some people it's like well wait a minute like you know what I'm saying like what what are we doing because it's like when you say hey if you get the rebound you just go like that's what you see a lot of times you see boom rebound one pass up the court boom 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 shot you know what I'm saying one you know what I'm saying the play was like. We might not get to the play for three plays sometimes. And so for some people, like for Ma, he was like, it's like chaos. Like, what are we doing? Like anybody could, you know what I'm saying? Anybody could do anything. And like that was like <laughs> crazy. You know what I'm saying? And that's really, if you think about Coach G's team, any like you say, he's not gonna tell such and such, don't shoot. Anybody could shoot. Anybody could take that thing and boom, 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 and get to that move. But it's not like you've never really seen, like, if somebody just do something totally egregious, obviously coach will say something, but like. That's not really his thing. He's not going to get on you about none of that stuff, about shooting, about, you know what I'm saying? Like, if now if you come down, you jack up four or five, just straight sub shot, he's going to be like, he's going to snatch you out of the game like any real coach would do. But, be like, but like, for the most part, like you said, he's not going he's not gonna to be over there. He's not one of them coaches where you shoot something and you glance and he over there dropping the clipboard or, or, or MFing you or none of that. Like, he, you know, Coach D was too cool. I want to get to the, the Paul part of this because I know you've talked about Pierce. Paul Pierce hosted you at Kansas, right? Yeah. Yep. Uh, him and uh, him and Ray LaFrance. Yep. No kidding. So what was Kansas the second option for you? Yes. What, what, was, so Kansas, uh, were, you, were you ever going to get, was it Monday and you're headed back to Chicago being like, I'm coming back here and then it wears off a little bit? Like, where were you on the DePaul, Kansas <laughs> thing? I've said this before. So the one thing before we did anything, before we went on any visits and all that, when we started out, we sat down, my, you know, my coaches and my family, we all sat down and we agreed that like, hey, no matter what's going on, how we feeling, we never going to commit or make any commitments on, on a visit. We're going to always, you know, come back home, clear our head and then evaluate. So... <laughs> That's basically what stopped me from coming. Like when I went to Kansas, like you gotta think, I went to uh to, to Midnight Man. It was late night with Roy. Roy Williams was the head coach then. So it's uh it was me, Joel Prisbella, Jeff Boshi, and Jerron Rush. So we there on the visit, like, you know what I'm saying? This is Allen uh, Fog Fieldhouse, we go in that joint on Midnight Madness, and you think you going there, and they doing the whole Rock, Charles, Jayhawk, all that. So instead of they say KU, they say Q Ridge. I was in there like, oh, Lord, it's going crazy. And then just to be there for that whole experience, it's like, yo, this was like, you know what I'm saying? I'm from Chicago. I ain't really been to a college town to where everywhere you go, it's all about Kansas Jayhawks. Gee, like, I'm with Paul and Rafe, and they was like, celebrities they were like nba players and you know what i'm saying it, it, down there so i'm like man so i remember sitting with roy before i was about to leave to go home roy like you know he asked me trying to find out what's what like how you feeling i'm like i remember telling him i'm like man i i remember saying i'm like like he's like if you had to give me a percentage or something like because i told him I'm like man i can't you know i can't do the commitment we do it uh he like man 
I'm like, I'd probably say I'm like 90-something percent. I could remember saying something like that, like, before I went home, right? And then, like, you know what I'm saying? When I got to the crib, it's like, you know, all of all of that kind of wear off. You kind of collect yourself. So then it's like, my whole thing with what separated the two, it was the problem was Kansas. Like, for me, I was real tight-knit with my family. My brother had just came out from the Navy. You know what I'm saying? My, my, uh, every, you know, my, I wanted my family to be able to come to most of my, my games, if not all. And, like, DePaul provided that. Obviously, I met the, at the, in Chicago for home games. But, like, where we played, my family could basically drive almost everywhere. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, you know what I'm saying? That's like a no-brainer. It provided everything. Because, like, people thought, like, oh, you didn't want to go. I knew that Paul was out of there, you know what I'm saying? And I was like, it was going to be the same position. Like, I wasn't scared to go. Like, my 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 top five was Arizona, Kentucky, you know what I'm saying, uh, uh, UConn. Like, it wasn't like I was trying to hide from, like, going to a big school. It was like, nah, I just, this just provides something that nobody else does in this, in this position because I didn't want to go to the Big Ten. At that time, the Big Ten was like, slow and big dudes and all of that stuff just like kind of i i felt like conference usa provided more running up the day had cincinnati st louis marquette teams it was kind of more so playing how i wanted to play so i was like man look i knew and i was the last one to commit bobby had already committed lance like if i committed i knew this was going to take us to the number one recruiting class and we was going to have a chance and pat kennedy was already lining teams up to like my freshman year we played duke at the united center so I knew, you know what I'm saying? He like, and that was the thing about Coach Kennedy. He could, he could, he could paint that picture for you, boy. He, and he was, and that's what he basically, I'm not gonna lie, what he told me that came true. He was like, You are from Chicago. You are a Chicago public school student. He was like, the city loves you. He was like, it's gonna be no different when you come here. You're gonna come right in and you're gonna be the guy. You're gonna be the cornerstone. You're gonna be able to do, you're gonna be as good as you wanna be as hard as you want to work and however hard as you want to take it. And he told me, you'll be able to leave after your first year. You'll be able to do everything you want to do right here in front of your family in your own city. And like when I went, I could, like you see right there, well, right here, the, the ESPN cup. Like I can remember that being up at the ESPN zone downtown and me going down there with my family, taking pictures, eating at the restaurant and just being like, yeah, like I felt like my that year, I was the man. I felt like MJ had retired. It was Sammy Sosa. Then it was me. That was what I felt like that year. He was doing the home run competition with McGuire that year. So, like, that was, like, the biggest thing. You remember that. So, I felt like it was it was Sammy Sosa. Then it was me in the city. All right. I have two more things then. Uh, because when I read the snow shoveling story, I was like, maybe he should have gone to Kansas. <laughs> That would have made me want to transfer. Yeah. You beat Kenyon Martin. You beat Cincinnati. It's a day game. There was a, sh- a snowstorm. And because you were so close, uh, your dad was like, you're going to come back and shovel. Uh, can you tell us that one? Man, listen, they were ranked like number two. Number two at the time. I got the tip in, the, 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 like the go-ahead bucket, the score. Get like the whole carried off, the, the the whole arena going crazy. And then it was like, yeah, you know, all of that was great. We figured our family was hyping everything too. And then it was kind of like, you know, I go get dressed and everything. We stand there talking about going to eat. He's like, yeah, man, you were supposed to, uh, you, you still going? Um, so I was like, yeah, 
Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Because it was a day game and there was was a a snowstorm. It was a day game. And so, you know, it was like, all right, like, whatever. I still had time. My rationality was like, I still had time to get to and from and be back to the campus to, to, you know what I'm saying, be the big man on campus still by the time it was about eight o'clock. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, that was, I did that multiple times a week. That was why I loved going to DePaul, but like, I, I, I stayed shooting to the south side, coming back, you know what I'm saying? And then the other thing, I would always, like my best friend, Cordell Henry, he was a point guard for Marquette. I would shoot up to Marquette, come back. And, you know, so like for me, it was it was the best, you know what I'm saying? I was cool at, the, at DePaul. Um, I love that story and that your neighbor saw you shoveling. Yeah, my, like, one of my one of my homeboys was coming from the little corner store and was looking, did a double tag. He was like, he just, it was funny because he looked, he looked, and then he looked, he like, Come on, Mr. Richardson. Like, come on. Cause like it's like all of my everybody they, they knew. They knew how my pops moved. They knew what it was. They're like, nah, Mr. Richardson don't play that. Like that was like the word. So it was like when he saw me, he looked, he's like, come, like, bro, like, nah, bro. Like, come on, Mr. Richardson. He like, I was just knocked off number two, though, bro. I watched you on national TV. Like, for real. I'm like. You know, that's what it is. But I'm, 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 about, I'm still about to shoot back to the campus, though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not staying here. That's for sure. I'm yeah, not staying like, there. Uh, Knuckleheads is out every week. You're doing extra stuff, too, with the playoffs going live. You know, the player staffing stuff. You're working with Orlando now. So I catch you all the time. I love watching that team. I love watching them. But who, yes, yes. who have you and Darius had on that? I guess I'm asking a simpler version or maybe a complicated version of something simple, like who's been the best. But was there a moment where you were surprised, where you learned about a player that you knew about, but you didn't know him? Uh, Because the interviews are great. You guys were kind of at the forefront of a lot of this stuff with the former players pumping out great content. That's the one thing that me and D sit back and we talk about that we get, you know, that we enjoy. Like it's like everybody that we sit down with, we walk away like, damn, I didn't, I didn't, I never knew that. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's always, it's always something that somebody like, whether I'm talking about people that we know, you know, generally well, it's like, yeah, I ain't never know that. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, that's, that's pretty be that that's what be interesting to me for like, you know, to say which one is like literally every single one, every, like I'm sitting down with D Wade. I was looking like, what? I never knew that. Like, you know what I'm saying? I know D Wade. I know, you know what I'm saying? Different dudes that we've had on. And it was like, damn. Like, I feel like every time I think that's the that's one of the biggest joys for me. But I think when you say, like, which one it's hard for me, you know, both of us say it's hard for us to say which one was our favorite one or which one was the best one. But I think the one that, you know, that sticks out the most and that's just for obvious reasons is Kobe. You know what I'm saying? It was like it wasn't long before he he passed that we sat with him and um, got a chance to chop it up with him. And like you say, like Kobe, one of them dudes, it's like. You know, and, and the, you know, it's not a lot of people that could say, hey, I know Kobe or I hang with Kobe or whatever like that. So it's like we didn't know Kobe. We knew Kobe from from competing against him. We knew him from, you know, being on the court in the basketball sense. Never spent time with him off the court and nothing like that. I had real conversations like that. So that episode, like for us to get a chance just to hold everything up, like getting there in the morning down to his compound in, in Newport, and being able to chop it up with him while everything is getting set up and all of that and just sharing that time and just, like I say, that's the only time we ever had a chance to talk to him where it's like we not, you know what I'm saying, in competitive mode or engaged or like about to go to battle with each other at some point. So it was like 
the first and only time he got a chance to really talk about, you know, chop it up with us and say, like, and he was just, he was real comfortable. Like, he know he could dissect my game, break down what D was doing. And it was like, you know, that was, for us, like, I don't care who you are, when you compete and when you play in a sport or whatever, like, when you're playing, there's whoever's the guy, whether, you know, it's always a guy, you know what I'm saying? And Kobe was that guy. And whenever we played against him, he was the measuring stick. So we wanted to bring it. We wanted the guy to know that, like, we coming, like, you know what I'm saying, and acknowledge us. And so to get that acknowledgement, you know what I'm saying, even because that, that's how our generation was. You never get that acknowledgement while we were playing from any of us. You know what I'm saying? It was always going to be after the fact. And so for us to get that interview and to sit down with him and, you know what I'm saying, chop it up and to hear him, you know what I'm saying, we get to share with him how we felt about him and his game and different things that he did and how he was moving. And then just for him to sit there and acknowledge, like, hey, I know this and I, I knew this about y'all and to see, like, okay, that means, like, okay, like the guy who we considered the guy of our time, like, he, 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 he saw us. He respected what we was doing. Well, I enjoy it. Uh, I'm happy for you, and I, I really appreciate the time that we finally got here to catch up, man. So thanks a lot, you. Yes, sir, man. No doubt. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. You know what I hate? Hate is after lunch, there's all this time before dinner. I hate it. So I'm always like, do I do this? It's like, you should. Gain season. Throw in a little something extra an appetizer that just starts hours before dinner it just gets so frustrating when there aren't great options that's where arby's new two for five dollar chicken wraps come in available in your choice of ranch barbecue and honey mustard they're perfect for that afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal food buddies Arby's two for five dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations visit an arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is brought to you by Viore. It's time to ditch your old workout fit. Seriously, just let them go and try Viore clothing instead. Their active wear is unbelievable. Sometimes I wear it and I go, do I look too good? <laughs> I don't want to be at this peak level of awesomeness in their joggers every single day. This is going to be hard to maintain, but that's what the joggers do for you. Whether you're sort of business cash, whether you're just around the house, whether you're working out, whether you're getting on a plane and you're going to be in your seat for a long time, the joggers just give you a hug for the entire flight. It's soft. It's comfortable. You're never going to want to take them off. Incredible versatility. You can wear it while taking part in different kinds of exercises, running, training, swimming, yoga, and more. Viore yoga class. That just makes sense. The Sunday jogger is the number one go-to. And of course, the core short out now. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Ryan, R-Y-E-N. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash Ryan. You want details? Fine. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Life Advice, the email address is lifeadvicerr at gmail.com. A lot for you in this pod so far today. I want to check in with uh, Kyle. How's it going? 
Uh, what's up, buddy? I uh, pulled the muscle of my back on the treadmill uh, on Monday, and it's pretty much it's still in the morning. So uh, it's been getting slowly better throughout the day. And usually by like three or four o'clock, I'm like, yeah, I could probably hit the bar. But uh, this morning, I'm like, just like every morning, I'm like, uh, I'm just doing a lot of swearing and tense breathing. <laughs> but um, it gets better throughout the day. I don't know. You got any, you got any uh, advice for, you know, when you're going hard in the gym? This is actually on the treadmill. So uh, I don't know. Maybe I should be concerned that I pull the muscle on the treadmill. Do you got anything I should be doing? Is there a stretch or like, uh, should I just be like hanging from a doorway or something? Yeah, there's a stretch. I start. I have to start my morning with it where I, I do like one knee up, the other leg straight, and then I just turn my entire torso and then it pops and then I reverse it on the other side. Like I can't get my day started unless I do it that way. Mm-hmm. And it's actually helped. Because there was a weird phase, like in my late 30s, where my back was just tight all the time. Um, oh, this is the one knee up, like over the other leg. Yeah, like I've done. Okay, I've done that. I think I would cry if I do that now. But um, that's just like ease a, into sort of it. in the middle, sort of in the middle upper back there. I don't know what the hell happened. I'm a big if I'm hurt and there was a you know I played some hoops and it was just it was brutal and it was I don't even know I, I don't I, I know I'm not going to quit but <laughs> I feel like quitting. Uh, there was like this thing where I could just tell like the right leg is up into the hip more than it should be. And then it's like the lower back on that side is all fucked up. Um, but what I noticed like the next day say it's like, oh, you know, it's a little, little more tender, a little more tweaked than I want me actually doing something active instead of just sitting around. Like I used to, when I was younger, if I hurt my back, it would just be like, oh, I'm out of commission. And now if I'm not feeling great, I just go really slow, extra stretching, maybe 15, 20 minutes, really slow on a treadmill or an elliptical machine. But then I'll go through like whatever workout I was going to do, focusing on not putting myself in a compromising position. And by the end of the day, I'll feel way better. Now, if you're like fucked up, fucked up, obviously rest will help. But I've always felt like doing something active actually loosens it up more. So don't shut it down is what I'm telling you. Go maybe on the elliptical, you know, throwing a throwing a fucking episode of Tate Frazier. Just chill out. All right. Know, maybe re, maybe rewatchables. <laughs> What's the treadmill routine, Kyle? Like are we, are we okay, running, so like, a couple miles? So, or we yeah, yeah. All right, here we go. I've actually, <laughs> I've actually getting, I'm, I'm improving. I'm seeing measurable improvements, right? So basically I do a mile on the elliptical uh, and then I do like two to three miles on the treadmill and I was doing like a brisk walk. Big and then cardio I, guy. And that, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think if, if I'm honest with myself, that's, I'm not worried about getting too big at the gym. You know what I mean? So I think, uh, <laughs> I think we just got to be honest with ourselves where we're at. So, um, you know, so that I, I'd be doing uh, the treadmill and I was like, all right, it's, you know, I do a brisk walk with it. I was like, all right, you got to run. Uh, and so I used to do um, hook, like for songs, like I, and I just have like a hip hop playlist and I would just, I do like, I'd run for the first uh, verse of a song and now I'm doing verse hook and now I'm doing uh, hook verse hook. So intervals. Like a, yeah, intervals. So it's like, you know, and I'll go back from like, you know, from like seven to like a, to like a four, which is like a brisk walk and then uh, go back to a seven or 7.5. So anyway, it, I've been, uh, I'm now almost running for entire songs. So almost, almost there. Um, so that's, that's what I like to do in the upstairs of, uh, of Gold's gym. And then I'll I go down that. and, and, uh, and just try to do some like, weightlifting stuff but it's a uh, it's cardio heavy i hate running um unless i'm Me like too. playing a sport but i Me used too. when i used to go to the gym because now i mostly just work out running at home, from but, your fears yeah well there you go <laughs> i used to i used to try to do that rip hamilton thing where he would like run just to run run a mile as fast as you can basically like daily that's what he would do and uh but that was mo- i mostly did that because i just didn't like running for more than like 10 minutes <laughs> so i would just yeah, run as fast as i it. could and be like i'm doing my part today like i ran for five well, i wouldn't run a five minute mile but you know it'd be somewhere around seven seven and a half minutes 
Uh, so that's kind of what my routine was. But I did just pick up a treadmill actually from my parents. My parents are moving out of their house and they're getting rid of all their shit. So I picked up this treadmill that I have behind me. Actually, it's like flat and a small one. And I'm going to do that walk, walk, walking desk thing where I'm going to put it under my desk and like walk while I work, which wow. I kind of feel like a loser doing that. But I do know it is good for me because younger me would have definitely made fun of me for doing this. But I, it, like getting your steps in is kind of important when you're in your mid 30s, you know? Yeah. And like you're in your basement right now. It's not like everyone has to see your walking desk, right? I mean, it's. I'm excited about it. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going to set it up after we finish today. I'm going to get my, you know, I got, I don't have one of those wrist things though. I got to figure out what, what the step, you know, meter is so I can keep track, but I don't, I don't move enough. I got to move more. This is a hand-me-down so, treadmill. Is this like a, is this like an early, like an early 2000s? Is this like an embarrassing treadmill? Like my no, parents' treadmill is kind of embarrassing. It's but, got a lot uh, of dust on it. It hasn't been used a ton, <laughs> but I think it's like relatively new and it's like super flat. So I'm just going to, you know, we'll try it out. See how it goes. All right, good. Happy for you, man. So big car. You got Ryan's, Ryan's running. Kyle's on the treadmill. I got a treadmill. It's a big cardio podcast now. Let's go. Big cardio. No, I'm doing sprints. I'm doing sprints on the Peloton. I'm doing watt, Love that. wattage outputs. So Love that. I see I see how fast I can do. 10. Post your times. Yeah, no, I'm done. It's going to be fucking sweet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We have a million follow ups on the Caitlin Clark thing. Oh, boy. Oh, a million. Shit. Actually, most of them are very good and, and sort of positive. So let's let's start with a couple. I may do a couple follow-ups here. I'm not sure. Uh, 510170, my friends compare my game to Dion in a non-complimentary fashion. I imagine Dion Waiters. Is there a complimentary version of Dion Waiters? Game <laughs> so you suck to play with. <laughs> <laughs> You're the most confident human being not named Shamanich. Anyway, this email is just in your defense, but Caitlin ran some pickup ball here in West Des Moines at the Lifetime Gym, and she destroys. Pickup in Iowa, as you can guess, isn't always the highest quality, but there's some dudes here. I played varsity in high school for three years. What's up? That's the way to write that sentence. And she's one of the best players I've ever played with against, and she schooled me several times. She gets to the hoop with ease, doesn't miss, and she makes some of the best pass passes I've ever seen, period. Any dude who isn't a legit basketball talent needs a reality check. Love the pod. Uh, you're immediately going to be met with resistance because you're going to say, wait, this guy was 5'10", 170. It's Iowa, which isn't fair because basically any place <laughs> with a population. No, but it, it's true. Like If you're near a highly populated area and you're playing varsity basketball at one of those schools, even if your school's like the shitty one, like that's still somewhat of an accomplishment. I, whatever. I don't know that there's a ton to add to. I think most, I th you know what I think? It's amazing progress from where we were as sports guys 20 years <laughs> ago because 90% of the follow-up emails about this specific topic which is the right way to go about the topic, we're saying, hey, you know, this is this is what it is. However, you know, back to the original point, like if it were a really good guy that played, you know, D1 at maybe even Clemson or Murals, um, no, but like D1 at Clemson or something, yes, that would be a different topic altogether. But those guys aren't emailing. We don't have, you know, those guys usually don't care enough to email, I think. Yeah, they're not they're not emailing the show. They already know. They already know the deal. Uh I did have somebody DM me on Twitter saying Ryan's riff on six three good male hooper not uh not being able to guard Caitlin Clark is outlandish. Like, all right, yeah, six three good athlete basketball player. Yeah, okay. Like that's fair. But we're talking about like normal dudes, I I think. You know, we're talking even if you're six foot yes, in decent shape and you don't play basketball, like she's gonna smoke you. Yeah, right. 6'3", 220, who's fucking awesome at basketball. <laughs> yeah, like, all right, you got, cool. Yeah. You got me. <laughs> so like a like a decent college or NBA player? Okay. Yep, got me. 
I, I cannot emphasize this enough. I know who this person is, this make-believe character that's in his 20s who didn't play in any game anyone ever gave a fuck about, but got a little bit better, started feeling himself, and you know was like, I'm fucking good now. I know who you are. I was you. Okay? <laughs> Grow up. Uh, this is a follow-up to Hinges Like Zillow, but for people, Guy... <laughs> Um, he didn't love my vibe. <laughs> <laughs> Boys, honored to have my email discussed in the pod, but got to say, real old man take by Ryan with this one. Keep in mind, this is a dating app we're talking about, not a college essay. Fair. Fair point. Yeah, I guess um, you don't have to you have to annotate or anything at the bottom there. That's fine. What was our position? Did I say emphatically take it down? I don't remember that I was that. Pa- I no, think it was just my general annoyance. Down. Yeah, <laughs> it was just were- my general annoyance of like a younger generation that just takes shit from everybody else while talking about how terrible working conditions are. It's like you fucking steal from each other constantly. Um, again, working in content, I'm certainly a little bit more in tune to the entire thing. Um, I just felt like it was such an amazing line for Kyle. And I was a little afraid that our guy emailing, it's like, are you ever this funny? Is this your range? Because it's a really fucking funny line. And if you never deliver, if you're never that funny again. So apparently, I don't know. I mean, it's funny that it's I'm wrong because I'm old. Have you ever thought you could be wrong because you're young? Did I just blow your mind? Right. Uh, (laughs) Wait, I thought he was getting credit, though, for it. V- not was. even just from her but from like something else like, wasn't from the hinge from the girl that was she like, worked at hinge that's yeah. right she like wanted yeah so that 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 he's leaving a little bit out there like it's not just that he used it and he got a date it's like there's also more to it to be fair i don't mind but now that i mind that Rosilla minds you know right um look she is really attractive Okay, that's what. All right, now I'm so no, no, no. You mind? No, I'm happy for him. I'm happy for him. I think I I think we should state the record thusly. Uh, I thought it was such a good line that I'm protective of Kyle. It doesn't mean no one should ever be able to use it, but he was the first guy that told us he took it, so he was he was in the hot zone. Yeah, right. He was Ted Williams, outer half. So, oh, Dennis Reynolds, I don't care about any of this, uh, but <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad everyone's uh, uh, all right, in a good so, place. <laughs> he did say this guy's actually pretty funny because the next line is my role in construction management. Uh, my role is in construction man- management. So maybe I'm just used to taking credit for the work of others. Nice. Maybe this guy is going to be this funny. That's yeah, a good line. Aware. That's good. All right. But hey, anything you can use to get an advantage on these things is free game. In my opinion, the amount of profiles with the same. I like the office type response is baffling. <laughs> I'll meet you halfway. Then I'm definitely screwed if she thinks I'm capable of topping this. I don't know. I actually think you might be now with that line. Appreciate the advice. I'll remove it out of respect for Kyle and his intellectual property. Not going to yearbook <laughs> quote a sports pod, though. No offense. Honestly, I wanted to put it back up and take credit for it now. He's got he won me back. Good. Well, he's we also not taking it down after he has a date with this hot chick. So I. <laughs> Way, way, way to take a bullet there. <laughs> no, I don't care. I say we take it to the tribunal. I'm, I vote for and no accreditation. Yeah, I'll take it for the dudes. You got it, man. Yeah, if it's a, I'll, I'll let Kyle take this one. It's fine. He doesn't care. Have it. Okay. All right. All yours, bro. Should we do one more follow-up? Is it a good one? Yeah. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> Some dude wants to come on the pod. 
Hmm. For one specific reason, which is making the rounds. Over the past year or so, we as Hornets fans have heard you and Bill randomly attack the Hornets unceremoniously. It started with the lunacy of Bill getting caught up in the moment, like he tends to do during the last year's playoffs, to have the horrific (laughs) take that he would take Jordan Poole over LaMelo, something that you did not refute. Dudes dudes don't forget. (laughs) Hmm. Is that insane to say? Maybe that's why. There's some things Bill says I just go, I don't have the time to refute this one. There's sometimes I don't refute because I do agree. I'll tell you this. I think the shine on the LaMelo thing is going to get a little weird. I think it's going to get a little weird. It's already getting weird for Jordan Poole. Yeah. Uh, More teams would want LaMelo. I don't think this is... I'd rather have Duncan Robinson instead of fucking... I don't know. Giddy. However, this past Sunday's podcast was the breaking point when you multiple times said... The Hornets do not deserve him, Wenbanyama. I do not know how you can even formulate a coherent argument that suffices to say an organization does not deserve someone. If anything, this is an organization that deserves Wemby more than anyone. Noted. The only plausible argument that could be brought to the contrary would be that MJ sucks as an owner. Riveting argument. Kudos to you, Aristotle. Ooh. I would. Wow, that was pretty fucking Yikes. mean. This guy's Earth, funny, yeah. huh? Super I do think we should guy. do once a month. We should do just once a month feedback. That's it. Fucking put it on the books. Pivot creatively here where there's going <laughs> to be a once a month. Yeah, once a month, just <laughs> fucking feedback. Maybe it's a separate email thing that we put next to job inquiries. All right, to finish, I would love to be able to have a chance to intellectually defend the Hornets case against the most logical sports personality in the game as well and give tidbits. Oh, so a compliment after the insult. <laughs> Fair. Smart. This guy's a good writer. Uh, give, tib- give tidbits as to why this roster sneakily being slept on. The Hornets' young, deep bench pieces recently took the y- Rockets' young, quote, talented core to the final seconds. Mm. I got to be honest. I don't want to hear this guy talk about any of this stuff. We don't like the Rockets. It's one regular season game, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, you want to talk about like <laughs> a weird feeling on the old couch for your boy watching the Heat and Hawks play the other. I was like, who am I rooting for or against in this one? I don't, I don't quite know how I feel. All right, let's finish the email and then we'll tear it apart. Um, the let me read that sentence again. Why this roster is sneakily being slept on? The Hornets' young deep bench pieces recently took the Rockets' young talented quote quarter of the final seconds. I hope you would have the intellectual honesty to have another position brought forth instead of dismissing this and rattling off what you deem to be reasons that would somehow make an organization undeserving. My question is, what advice would you give, uh, would you all give to try and make this discussion happen? Well, I would try to hit up a podcast that has a much harder time getting guests. <laughs> That's what shining podcast, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, when you have maybe the worst owner in the NBA, that's a pretty good reason and shouldn't be dismissed. And you want fucking credit for losing to the Rockets That's by unbelievable. three points? You want credit for that? And when when was that game? April? April 7th? Like, dude, <laughs> what, what's what, a lot of those but, results? I'm like, I don't even know what to do with a lot of these. Keep going, Saruti. No, I, it's just, I think honestly, I like, I appreciate this guy for sending email. Thanks for listening to the pod. That is the <laughs> dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. That the fe- you're going to defend your, this team, the Hornets, because they barely lost to a terrible team that we all kind of hate in the Rockets. Like that's what are you trying to do, dude? I, I don't. I just don't understand that. 
that one didn't make a ton of sense. Uh, it didn't make a ton of sense to me. Um, and look, I, I'd rather Wemby be in Charlotte than Houston. So like, I don't, I don't, I don't even, I don't know. Maybe oh, really? Me, but I think the Hornets have won one. And obviously the Bobcats part of this is weird too, where that owner named the team after himself, which I feel like went totally under the radar. I think they've won three playoff games in 20 years. And that was just in the one season in, uh, in 15, 16, when they lost the heat in the first round. MJ's a terrible owner. He, If he weren't MJ, there'd be way more discussion about how bad of an owner this guy is. And because he's MJ and it's not even close to being like, you know, if you were introducing Michael Jordan to a people at a gala, how far would you like, you'd be like, oh, and he owns the Hornets. That might be like eighth. Um, I mean, first of all, obviously it's not happening, but uh, I just think it's like, here. it's kind of back to the old young thing we just said. Is there any chance because you like the Hornets so much, you might be wrong? Right? Like, what are you really, you're mad that somebody else argued that the thing you care about shouldn't get somebody. Is there any chance you're too emotionally close to it where I'm emotionally distant and I could have better perspective? That would be my counter to it. Sorry. There you go. I hope I think a lot a- of people... This was a wake up for a lot of Twitter users out there. <laughs> I hope. I just hope. Yeah. Hey, you're wrong about the thing I care about. All right. Send. All right. We went deep on some follow ups here. It was well written email, though. We'll give it that. Good job. Okay. Uh, paternity leave. Saruti, this one's going to be for you. Love the pod. Been listening since SVP days. 26 years old. 6'2. So that means SVP started. Jesus Christ. Do you realize this summer that's 14 years ago, our start date? That was 12. Disney product, though. <laughs> see. 6 2, 195. Work out a few times a week. Stats are average. I play pickup hoops as much as possible. I can still dunk. Comp is Hayden Turkaloo. Shout out to the 09 Magic. God, sorry. Love that. I love this guy already. Yep. All right. My question is about how to navigate my upcoming paternity leave. I've been at a current my current job for just over a year in a unique engineering field with a company I'd like to stay at long term. I've received very positive feedback in my first annual performance review. I enjoy the work and see potential to grow in my career here. My wife and I are expecting our second child at the end of this year. My company gives 10 weeks of paid paternity leave. When we had our first child, I was a previous job without paternity leave, so I was only able to take off a few weeks of normal vacation. I'd like to take the whole time, and so would my wife, but my concern is that taking the entire 10 weeks off early in my time with this company could give me some kind of bad rep. For context, a couple guys in my department have been with the company a while longer that I've uh, only took three to four weeks of leave before returning full-time when they had kids in the past year. Uh, I have a good relationship with my manager. I'm sure I would receive no direct pushback if I told them I expect to take the full leave, but don't want to do something outside of the norms of the company. Am I overthinking this? And should I just plan to take the whole time or do I need to try to find out how taking the whole leave would be perceived and plan on taking less time? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Surdy, why don't you take it? Well, How long have you gone? A year? I was, I think, yeah, <laughs> about a year. No, I think I was gone for 12 weeks. So basically three months. Uh, and, and that's Spotify, who, right? Spotify well, so, so, lets you go. They give you six months. They give you six months. Yeah, you months. still got shit in your back pocket for the I summer, right? I technically could still, yeah, and I could use it for like another, I think, two years. Basically two years after two she's born. Years. That's insane. <laughs> Spotify Wait, gives crazy. you six months six of months. paternity leave on top of your normal vacation yeah, I mean, I didn't take a ton of vacation in the lead up because I knew I was going to be off. Like, I wasn't going to be an asshole about it. But as someone who had 
I'm not an anxious person. I don't have anxiety. Like, you know, I've just, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty, maybe I will one day and, but, it, but I've been kind of blessed in that way. But I was extremely anxious about like how I was going to handle that because it is a long time and you do, there's, there's no way to not feel like a douche about it. Um, there just isn't like, and like, especially when I'm sitting at home, like there were, there were nights when it was really hard and like you're up in the middle of the night, but there are also lights. Like I, I talked to you guys about it. Like you got a lot of downtime. I was watching a lot of games. I was texting with you, Ryan. I was talking to people like I, I, I kind of feel like I could have been doing stuff at that time. Now, great, I work from home, so it's a little bit different. But I think it's it's totally normal to be anxious about this. But I will say, if you didn't get it for the first one, and you, you, you definitely did miss out on something. I will say, like, it was really cool, especially in those first three months, to see my daughter kind of completely change from, like, first month, she's just kind of, like, keeping her alive, and you're kind of freaking out about everything, to, like, then she starts to recognize stuff. Like, that whole process, if... I would have missed a lot of that stuff if I went back to work after six weeks or so. So I'm team take what you can get. And if you have a good relationship with your manager, then I, I think you I think you should do it. Like they're gonna figure it out. Like there's a reason that these companies give this to, to you. Like they want people to take it because they want, you know, to have good employees. So if you're in good standing with your boss and you know it's something that you missed out on your first child, I would hundred percent take as much as you can. Ten weeks isn't that bad. Yeah, it doesn't seem like too much, but what um that's for fraternity leave right usually maternity leave is a little longer or can we not fraternity like, leave no can, well, can we not del- Spotify delineate that anymore for well Spotify yeah because it's, it's too much for each each one right i mean either one's too much. <laughs> well no is I twins two, a year i won't say i won't say who but i had multiple people that work with us that were like dude you got to take the six months oh dude i know, know exactly who you're talking about and, and I need, I, sometimes i need <laughs> stuff from that guy and he's like oh shit he's had another kid <laughs> <laughs> and, oh God, <laughs> I'm gonna leave that one alone uh but I, if i had taken any more than what i took i i was ready to come back when after three months was up like i was i needed something else to do so it was also a good like recharging tool like all right like i'm ready like i, I was i miss you guys i miss working with everybody i miss working on shows i miss talking about shit so it's a good like recharging tool if i had taken six months i would have lost my mind but 10 10 weeks really isn't that even that much so i think just go for it dude yeah, that's what I would say. So you're not asking about taking a half a year here. It's two and a half months, you know. All right. All right. Okay. Um, to the specific nature of the email, though, he is saying that the older guys that are ahead of him, right above him, didn't take the 10 weeks. All right. So who, there is okay. a ch- who, ca- who cares? Well, so so <laughs> when I came, I think one of the are first- Are you fucking Kyle- serious? Hold on. Who hold cares? On. Kyle was in the in the Zoom, I believe, on this one. When I came back, one of my first shows, it was Bill and Peter Schrager in, in a Bill record. And I was talking, I think, I swear, I, Kyle it was like my first or second show back. And I said, yeah, you know, I was off for like three months. It was really great. It was awesome to be around with my daughter. Bill and Peter both told stories about like how basically when they had kids that they just went back to work the next day and they didn't get any time. Like, Peter was like, oh, I was on the NFL sideline that next like, two days later. And like, I kind of felt weird about it, but then I was like, these are just kind of, these guys are just kind of like, are they a little bit mad about it? I don't know. Maybe they are, but I was happy with the time that I had. So I think old guys are going to be old guys. You can't worry about what they're going to do. If you're going to be pumped about taking 10 weeks and you're good at your job, take the 10 weeks, come back to work and tell them to fuck off. That's what I would do. Yeah, there's right. no more <laughs> hazing anymore. All those guys have <laughs> stories about how hard they had it, you know? Uh, all right. I got an issue. It's like, I think specific to your career, Saruti, you're you're awesome at what you do, and you've had. Is it fair to say some rather important people like always fucking having your back? So like yeah. you could never do anything to me at this point because of our relationship where I would ever be upset with you. 
when you were off the show, I was like, I don't care. Like, I'm good for you. Do your thing. I missed you. I missed the fucking annoying phone calls where you don't talk for the first 15 minutes as I'm spouting all this <laughs> stuff at you, you know, as my creative muse. But I knew the deal. Um, and but you're you're at home. Like Schrager is doing NFL sidelines for specific, like it's <laughs> sure. the NFL. It's week eight. And, and so by- he's he's probably worried about like, hey, I take too many of these off, especially as paternity leave. Forget the women that have to worry about it. Maternity leave being like, oh, hey, I'm just going to take the season off. They're going to be worried about their job the next time. So depending on your field, depending on who has your back, depending on the workplace options, like there is some massaging to it. Like he might just be able to go ahead and take the whole 10 weeks. If, if his wife wants him to take the 10 weeks, I'm sure a lot of listeners are going, hey, dude, just take the 10 fucking weeks. I am simply suggesting like he said in the email, ask around a little bit because it could dent you as like a dent that can be fixed or it can kind of dent you where depending on how the rest of your work goes and where your work ethic is and you're so fucking good at your job that you never had to worry about it and you have a unique situation, but your situation is not everybody. Your situation is far more unique than most of the people that are in this kind of spot where it's like, hey, find out a little bit or maybe go, hey, at week six, I can check emails or maybe I can come in once a week uh, because there will be places, there will be places that are going to look at the guy taking the max amount of leave as a negative. Not oh, all. Yeah. I don't know, but You're there right. will be. You're right. And real quickly, Peter Schrager, I believe, just had his second child. So congrats to him. He did take that. I, he did, I saw a video where he was like, I didn't, I, Kyle, I think he responded to you on it because you congratulated him too. Or I think he took a couple weeks off from the show, from Good Morning Football. He wasn't around. So he did take some time off. So congrats to him. Congrats to the Schrager family. Yeah, right, back Schrager. to Ryan's point yeah. of like off-season stuff. But, and then to, to your other point, Ryan, about me being in a good spot, True. Thank you. You've had my back. I appreciate it. Um, but I was also I was kind of talking about Bill more than me, really. On, on I was still kind of new with the ringer, though. I was still kind of new with the ringer. So I was like, I don't I don't want to be that guy that just like takes the full you know, paternity leave after only being at the company for two years. So this is I think this is what this guy is going through. So it's it's a totally legitimate thing to feel like I think feeling guilty about it is OK. But te- again, 10 weeks isn't that much time. And the other part is Maddie, my wife. She was pretty at, she was like, who fucking cares? Like you have this, take it. This is what it's there for. You should be taking this time. So it was partially driven by her. Not, I'm not, this isn't like a blame Maddie thing. Cause she's hundred percent right here. <laughs> like I should have taken this. the three months, <laughs> but she was like in my head being like, you have to get out of your own head about this. Like take, this is your daughter. You're, you're having a kid. It's a life changing event. Like fucking Ryan could talk to somebody else for, <laughs> for a couple shows about, you know, what, what, what NFL lead topic we're going to do on the pod on Monday. And she's right. So. I don't know. I don't know. Seven billion people do. A lot of people having kids. <laughs> not that rare. <laughs> well, I am on record that it's not that hard, although it's gotten a little bit harder recently. Uh, oh, but, how about that? Well, Any she's updates? just been sick. She's had a cold for like three straight weeks. It's just, I mean, she's the trooper, but I'm also sick now. It kind of blows. Baby but, coughs. Tough thing to hear. It's guy not still good. looks good. The fucking kid's sick, Kyle. Look at this kid. Look how Thank good you. he looks. Thank you. Well, my, my sinuses would be different. But I, again, all that to say, just I, it's okay. It's normal to feel guilty. I think she should take 10 weeks. You can even talk. You said you got a nice relationship with your boss. You can be like, hey, listen, I was thinking about taking 10 weeks. I'm planning on taking 10 weeks. Is there like is there like a six week sort of deal? Come back and there's like a lull where I could take. Is, it, is that possible? You know, and be like, I, think, I think my new family would like if I could get 10 weeks. But, you know, if it's if it's a month and a half and then I can can I break it up? Is that all right? Or are you telling me that it's 10 weeks or bust? My just issue the, is, well, go ahead, Saruti. No, just for the record, I also did work. So I did the World Cup pod because <laughs> I, I, I did that. <laughs> 
what, a month, less than a month after she was born. So I did like 15 pods. You're a hero, you know? dude. I'm, ju- I'm just saying, I, I wasn't... <laughs> I, I only say that yeah. in relation to Kyle's thing of like, if you want to ease back into it or like, you know, maybe go at like 40, 50%. <laughs> maybe you could do some stuff while still being off. Like some companies give you shit for that. I remember... Uh, there was kind of like a weird spot off I think where they were like, oh, we, they want you to be off. They want you to be off. And I was like, what I really want to do this World Cup thing. I love the World Cup. So we got around that. So I don't know. You're right. Ask around. But, you know, I, I, I just want to point out I was doing things during the three months. So not a hero, but just do I was doing some things. <laughs> but not not the a con- hero is what we're the saying. The content world is aware. I'm not not a hero. <laughs> <laughs> All right. In closing, anyone that is listening to this and as we read out the scenario to pretend that they know better than like we don't know. Every place is different. The wife card is significant. Um, I would tell you through my work history, I never took any time off fucking ever. And I didn't even have a kid. No one rewarded you for it. Mm-hmm. No, like super hard. Oh, guy, like I'm going to show them every time I was like, I'm never going to do that. They're going to show. And then when my contract's <laughs> up. I've never once in 21 years now had somebody at the contract be like, you know, this fucking guy never takes any fucking time off. Not once. I haven't heard it once. So then I look back and be like, yeah, you probably could have gone to that wedding or you could have done that thing with your friends. You could have done this. You could have done all these different things. And you just didn't. You kept making excuses why you didn't have to do it. So now does that mean, hey, now go take the 10 weeks? I just think certain workplaces, especially in this engineering field with some older dudes, knowing that those guys didn't take the full 10 weeks. It could ding you a little. And so I think to your point is you even said, like you even answered your own question, you know, feel it out a little bit, you know, and if, if you're not getting the greatest vibes back on the full 10 week, see if there's some way you're like, hey, what if we start checking emails or what if I can kind of come in one day or something like that? So you're sort of appeasing everybody like you're in the tough spot here because you're actually career oriented enough that you're worried about it. But I would tell you, at least with my own history, and I think the history of a lot of people is the super gung-ho, never take any fucking time off thing doesn't pay you back the way that you think it would. And since you're 26, you could just, they may already like be pre-ready for your young dude vibe where they're like, oh, that kid's 26. Of course, he's going to take all of his time off because the older workforce hates the youngest <laughs> workforce now more than ever before. And to reemphasize that stuff, you could just like walk around the office and be like, Dude, Greta Thunberg, fucking awesome, right, dudes? <laughs> and they just look at you and like, what? You know, and just start planting those little seeds. Be like, Billie Eilish, eh, I don't see it anymore. And you're like, what? So you just, you know, keep playing that game. And they're like, this guy's so young. They're already pre, they're, they're preheated to the idea that you're not going to be there for 10 weeks. Could I just say, too, there's a big difference between like the person who uses all of their sick days. I used to get so mad at this at ESPN. Like when like I, I don't think I used I maybe used one sick day in my eight years at ESPN. And to your point, Ryan, you know what? Nobody fucking cares. No Except cares. like the people that don't take it because they get annoyed. Right. But it like doesn't really impact your career. But like, you know, the people, the person that takes all their sick day like you. You de- you develop a reputation of like oh this person they're totally. gonna call out today and then it never catches oh, up it never and, seems to catch it, up to them it usually doesn't I don't think there's the same stigma when you have a ch- it's just I just, maybe I'm wrong obviously I'm too close to the situation you guys right. tell me no, you're, I think when you have right a child that. it is a little bit it is a little bit different but like the sick day thing like when you when you know somebody was taking like a vacation they were gonna call out on sick the day they got back like that person sucks not the person who takes ten weeks on for paternity leave I don't know 
But you get no credit for taking no sick days. That's for sure. I broke my fucking finger on the way to a Bill Simmons podcast on one of those scooters. <laughs> I did his podcast bleeding. Nobody remembers that. I get no credit. Not, for not that. a hero, though. Not a hero. Not a hero. <laughs> no, I am a hero for that one. <laughs> that one I'm a hero for. No, I had a tooth worked on where I had to drive to Boston the night before, stay over in a hotel, go to Newburyport to the dentist because I had massive anxiety about it. And the dentist was a guy I went to college with. So I was like just getting back into it with having health insurance. And I was like, this tooth is fucked up. It's killing me. And they drilled it open and they found that there were files left in there, two files that were left in with a cap over it that were broken off during a previous root canal. And the guy was like, what the fuck? And he we fixed it up and I was like, no wonder that thing hurt so bad. Um, and then I was back on the air that day and, and Van Pelt's like, what are you doing? And I was so freaked out. I think being the on air person too, you're always like, I'm going to be yeah. replaced. Like, yeah, as soon as I'm they not, can. especially back then for me, I, I wasn't going to miss anything. I think I called in sick once or twice. I got a crazy fever when I was in Baton Rouge once and nobody believed that. <laughs> like nobody <laughs> i think that's what it was it. for me i was always like no I, my dad never even believed when i was like sick in high school so i was like nobody no, was too. gonna believe me like i used to have to show toilet like puke in the toilet like if i flushed it i had to go to school because he didn't believe me because that's the only way i could stay home was if i like actually threw up and uh that was the only way and if i flushed i, I had to go to school one morning because i flushed the puke without him seeing it and he was like sorry bud don't trust you <laughs> oh no that was <laughs> no yeah <laughs> Being the oldest, I, I'd get in, I'd get my mom would be like, "All right, you're fine. You can stay home." And then the father would come in for the inspection, and you were you were going to school, it's disgusted that you would even try. <laughs> They'd be like, "Go to the nurse if you don't feel well." I'm like I currently don't feel well though. So what what's the why? And then by the time you they knew though they're smart because then by the time you get in school, you're already there. And I'm like, "Oh, I'm not gonna just go to the nurse and then come home." That's a I good one. I like that one. I'm gonna use it if I have kids and take six months off. <laughs> yep. All right. Uh, <laughs> thank you. To Kyle, thanks to Steve, thanks to Quentin Richardson. Heroes. And heroes, and the heroes out there. So we will be back on Tuesday. Playoff games getting going. We're doing Tales from the Couch once a week. Maybe we're going to do feedback feedback show. Um, I don't know how, because I don't want to take away from Life Advice, but maybe we'll do it uh, as well. And I got an author coming up for this book I just read that's coming out. Uh, the Wager, it's coming out next week. Just read it. And David Grant's going to join us uh, next week as well. And Bill and I on Sundays. So thanks as always, Ryan Russell, the podcast, Ringer Spotify. <laughs> <laughs>